When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 293, and we are recording on August 5th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome back. Welcome. Yes. <laughs> we just we just recorded an episode two days ago, but we are in the middle of PTO apocalypse, so we're doing it again. We're doing it again. Yay. <laughs> Yay. So for those of you who are new, how this show works is, as I said, we are a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you need or want a reading recommendation, you can send those requests to us via email at getbooktobookwrite.com, or you can drop your request in the form, which is in the show notes on the site. If your request is time sensitive, then please put that in the subject line of your email, or if you use the form, just put it in big letters in like the first line so that we will see it. We might email you back if we are not going to get to your question in time, or if it's one we've already answered on the show. Also, yes, we are approaching episode 300, so we are going to do a special AMA episode, Ask Us Anything, AUA, whatever, episode <laughs> for that. We might end up having to do two because we've gotten lots and lots of questions and they're all great. No, I expected some of them to be repeats and a few are, but like not all of them. So we are still taking That's those impressive. questions. Yeah, it is. Um, so send out, all of them are for chili recipes. No, they're not. I'm <laughs> One of them is. <laughs> so yeah, if you have questions for us, they can be reading related or not. You can send those to us. We do have a few pieces of feedback here. The first one is from Sarah, who says, I have a recommendation for Rachel, who was looking for books with Puerto Rican history and culture. The Taste of Sugar by Marisol Vera is historical fiction set in mostly the 19th and early 20th century in Puerto Rico and includes lots of historical and cultural information. Grace, for the person looking for multiple perspectives. The Atlas Six by Olivia Blake is absolutely amazing. Dark Academia, New Adult Fantasy, Intrinsic Relationships. I don't know what that means. Intrinsic Relationships. What is that? I don't know. I'm going to look that up later. Okay. Sherry, for the person who is looking for sentient houses. Betwixt by Dorinda Jones. Magical Midlife Madness by K.F. Bree. Both are firsts in unfinished series about women in midlife who have inherited houses. And then finally, from Carol, for the reader who wanted more of the Veronica Speedwell series, I recommend Things in Jars. It's not a series, but has a plucky Victorian heroine. What's not to like about an off-book coroner slash detective who pretends to be a widow in order to dodge social restrictions. That's amazing. She has a seven-foot-tall <laughs> former circus performer for a maid and has befriended a ghost. I'm going to have to read this. Things in Jars. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm into that. All right, I'm going to read our first question. We will hear from our first sponsor and away we will go. Our first question is from Jenny, who says, My friend has mentioned a couple of times this year that she wants to get back into reading, and her birthday is coming up, but I'm stuck for what to get her. The last book she really enjoyed was Confessions of a Video Vixen. Do you have any suggestions for a book that will get her back into reading based on this last book that she really enjoyed? All right, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling 
dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Jen. Go, go, Gadget. Video Vixen. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, for the listeners who aren't familiar, Video Vixen is a memoir by a woman who was like the hip hop backup dancer in videos, like super interesting memoir from her, which I hadn't heard of before. So thank you for putting that on my radar. Um, I'm recommending The Baddest Bitch in the Room by Sophia Chang, which is another memoir that is in the hip hop zone. And Sophia Chang worked in like she was the first Asian woman in hip hop. She worked with the Wu-Tang Clan, a tribe called Quest, like her children were fathered by a Shaolin monk. Like she's a very interesting life. And this is a very frank and like no holds barred look into, yeah, what it was like to be in the largely male-dominated music industry managing hip-hop and R&B. She talks about her family leaving North Korea. She's the daughter of Korean immigrants who uh, grew up in Vancouver in a very white, like, suburb area. And, um, yeah, like, talks about, you know, trying to find her own voice while supporting all of these artists, dealing with racism and misogyny and, uh, you know, what it's like to be a parent and just all of the different things that she experienced. And she has lived a life. Mm. <laughs> and so I thought that, you know, it's the combination. It's memoir. It's in the hip hop space. So you get all of that. And it's also like a woman finding her way, which is very much what Video Vixen is about. And like this no holds barred, like we're not going to romanticize things. Like we're going to tell you what it's really like. So again, that is The Baddest Bitch in the Room by Sophia Chang. So what strikes me about Confessions of a Video Vixen is that it's very much about like the women in the background of a very glamorous world who are actually responsible for making that world function in a lot mm. of ways. So I kind of latched onto that idea and I went with Uptown Thief by Aya de Leon, which is the first book in the Justice Hustlers series, which is a series of like crime procedurals. 
Marisol is the is the main character, and she is a former sex worker who now runs a women's health clinic in Manhattan that is servicing sex workers. Um, it is not lucrative, and often their fundraising is um, disappointing. So she needs funds to continue keeping this clinic open, and to do that, she runs an escort service on the side for very rich and powerful men, like one percent. And she uses that escort service to rob them blind. This is like Ocean's 8 meets Hustlers. Like there's a whole cast of characters here (laughs) who are working as quote unquote escorts, but are Robin Hooding, like are stealing from these men to fund this women's clinic in Manhattan. It is amazing. And so she's got one heist that's coming up with like a mega billionaire. If she pulls this heist off, they can retire from this thing and just like run their clinic in peace. They're not gonna have to worry about money anymore. But then an employee kind of betrays her and she has a run in with a former cop who she maybe has some sparks for that complicates the whole thing. And so like, are they going to pull this off? Is the clinic going to be saved to do all of these Bezos lookalikes fly away in their space peens or do they get what's coming to them? Like, it's all great. It's such an adventure and very much part of that, like women who society does not generally pay attention to who are actually making this whole thing happen. It's great. So that's Uptown Thief by Aya de Leon. All right. Our next question is from Emily, who says, I'm in my mid-20s and I'm going through all the classic tropes of building and failing at my career, figuring out romantic relationships, seeing friendships change and sometimes disappear, and learning how to grow up even though at times I really don't want to. Hashtag relatable, Emily. (laughs) During these years, I found so much comfort in reading books and watching television shows with characters I can relate to and who are going through the same things I am and I need more. So I'm looking for more coming-of-age stories that are focused on people in their 20s. Most coming-of-age tends to be YA, but I feel like I'm still figuring out who I am and what life I want at 25. Some books that I've resonated with in the past are Normal People, Conversations with Friends, Sweet Bitter, and The Marriage Plot. Some TV shows that scratch this itch are Love Life, Starstruck, Felicity, and Normal People. I really enjoy romantic plot lines, but ones that feel real or organic, I really despise when they are too cheesy or melodramatic. <laughs> I'm just going to keep talking. So we have a post on site, uh, novels about quarter life crisis you might find helpful. <laughs> Lots of options there. And then my pick for you is Honey Girl by Morgan Rogers. This is very much like what you are looking for. It is a coming of age about a 28-year-old woman who has just finished her PhD in astronomy. Uh, Her name is Grace. She is a black woman in America. She goes on a girl's trip to Vegas to celebrate completing her PhD. She drunkenly marries somebody that she like doesn't even realize that she's doing that until, you know, later on. (laughs) And she She is like, you know, struggling with family expectations and just basically like she's all of her life is sort of coming unraveled all at once. So she's like, well, here we go. I'm just like blowing up everything. She's feeling burnt out like she doesn't know what to do with the job market. She's dealing with her parents expectations, like I said. So she goes to New York with this wife that she like doesn't really know and is trying to get to know her. Her name is Yuki. But she's also trying to deal with all of these career things and family things. And like, yeah, how do I be an adult in the world? And I think especially for like, you know, black women in STEM and then women who have been in academia for like long enough to finish a PhD. And then you're like, okay, now I'm outside of that system. And like, what do I do with myself? And then messy romantic relationships like it's it's all it's all in here. So again, that is Honey Girl by Morgan Rogers. 
Okay, I picked Luster by Raven Lalani, which was shortlisted, longlisted for the Women's Prize um, this year. I had to think about that. And this is such a fascinating, like, early quarter-life crisis kind of book. So Edie is the main character. She lives in Bushwick, um, and she works in publishing. She makes terrible choices, like, just terrible choices, including, like, having a series of really inappropriate office romances. Not even romances, just, like, sexual encounters, some of which are, like, literally in the office. Um, <laughs> Um, and so she's like not treating her job with very much respect. She doesn't really treat herself with that much respect and she knows it and like is kind of fine with it because she's 24, 25 and trying to figure out what she wants to do with herself. She ends up getting into a relationship with a man named Eric who is much older than her and is a digital archivist at at a um, museum. He lives in New Jersey with his wife and his adopted child. Him and his wife have an open marriage and so Edie gets involved with this man and then eventually ends up befriending his wife. Um, And then she loses her job. She's like doing DoorDash kind of stuff. And in the course of doing the DoorDash, she encounters his wife again. His wife works as a coroner and she's like delivering food to the hospital. She encounters the wife. The wife realizes that like she's lost her job and invites her to come live with them, which is like such a choice. I don't even know. So this 25-year-old girl, woman, sorry, moves in with this man that she's been seeing, his wife and their child, who was 12. Edie is black, the child is black, and the parents are white. So now, so this, like, the whole situation becomes very awkward and weird. Like, she's expected to kind of clean the house. Somebody, one of, assumedly one of the parents is, like, leaving money in her room. They ask her to kind of not parent the girl, but, like, help her be black, basically. Like, help her do her hair. Help her figure out how to interact with the police because we're white and shrug forever. It's so awkward and weird. And the dynamics are very... (laughs) I mean, purposefully cringy, right? Like, this is all done on purpose to make you, like, look at how bizarre this situation is. But the, I'm not going to call it a friendship, but the, like, relationship between Edie and the wife is fascinating because they both really resent the position that they're in and they both really resent this man. (laughs) And they just kind of bond over that, over their, like, never-ending bottomless rage in suburban New Jersey. It is fascinating. And there, I mean, it's like dealing with all these very typical mid-20s questions. Like, what kind of job do I want? She works in publishing, like I said, but she doesn't love it or care about it. It's like, probably not that. What kind of romantic relationships do I want? Not this kind, you know? Like, do I want a kid? Well, here's one that I can practice on. You know, all of that kind of stuff (laughs) she's working out. Um, She's just working out in such a strange setting. But at the same time, like, pretty believable one. Like, I could totally see this happening to some upper crust family in New Jersey. I could absolutely see this happening. Or like any couple that's been married forever and decides to like try an open relationship and then it just falls apart. And like the third person just has to kind of clean up the pieces or be the, you know, observer of it and you watch it through their eyes. It's it's so interesting. Also a book that you're either going to love or hate. That seems to be the general reaction. So that's Luster by Raven Lalani. What a ride. It's bananas. <laughs> it's bananas, but I really loved it. Like I love. Yeah. I quite like that thing when authors make like force you to look at a really cringy situation um, because people mm. are cringy. Like we try to hide it, but we're cringy. Oh, yeah. All right, question three is from Sarah, who says, I'm looking for fun graphic novels. I read Mooncakes after hearing it recommended on either Get Booked or SFF Yeah. I read and loved all the T-Dragon graphics. I need more fun, cute graphic novels like these. All right, Jen, what you got? Allow me to introduce you to (laughs) Rutabaga the Adventure Chef, which is exactly as amazing as it sounds from the title. It is very, like, whimsy. More, I think, in the T-Dragons area than Mooncakes. Like, Mooncakes actually has, like, a plot. 
which, you know, T-Dragon sort of dabbles in plot, but is much more about, like, atmosphere and, like, scenes. And Rutabaga is, well, so Rutabaga is a chef who has a magic cooking pot whose name is Pot. And he is in a world where they're like, you know, dragons and wyverns and also hunted vegetables. And he is on a quest with all of these other adventurers to defeat a dragon. But mostly what he's doing is like finding new ingredients and like finding monsters to cook dinner for. And like, you know, just like it's very much about the food. And it is so sweet and fun and silly and charming and all of the things. I'm obsessed. I actually recently recommended this to some of my nibblings and now they are obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just happy to pass along the obsession. So again, that is Rutabaga the Adventure Chef by Eric Colossal. Okay, I picked Squirrel Girl because it's the cutest comic that I can think of, and I love it so much. So the first volume is called The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Power! Uh, It's by Ryan North and Erica Henderson. And this is exactly what it sounds like. It's a Marvel comic about Squirrel Girl, who is a superhero um, who has the power of squirrels. (laughs) Like, she's got a tail and kind of big teeth, and she can jump really high, and she has really good hearing, and her superpowers are very specific and strange, but great. And she's also 18. So in the first volume of this comic, she's going to college. She's decided to go to college. And that is fascinating because like she, she has to tuck her tail into her pants. And then she's just a girl with a big butt and like walking around like that. And it's great. Um, she's going to class and making friends. She has a little sidekick squirrel named Tippy that she communicates with. Um, and while all of this is happening, the normal kind of college stuff of fitting in and where's this class and where's my dorm and all that, um, you know, Doom, Dr. Doom attacks and like threatens to destroy the planet. The thing I really like about Squirrel Girl as a superhero is that her, you know, she's got all these like physical powers, but her actual superpower is like communication, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a thing squirrels are particularly good at. They do chatter a lot but when dr doom attacks the planet instead of like beating him up or blowing him up she goes up to his ship and like has a chat you know it's almost like a therapy session like what are you really doing you know like why do you need to why do you feel the need to like conquer worlds what's that about you know and she talks him down where you know a lot of mostly dc but some of the marvel comics can be quite dark and like violent and Everybody solves problems with their fists or their weapons or whatever. She just like legitimately like, what's going on with you? You know, and it's amazing. It's such a nice and refreshing, also kid friendly, if that's the thing you care about, um, way to like model conflict management. I don't know. That's the sort of thing that, ma- that matters to me. That matters to me. And it's super cute. The drawings are great. And I would love a squirrel sidekick. So that is The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl by Ryan North and Erica Henderson. That run of Squirrel Girl is amazing. Like, (laughs) legit amazing. Hardest cosine of the world (laughs) to that. Okay. (laughs) Our next question is from Alex, who says, I'm looking for a book featuring quite a specific type of character that is the sort of bright young thing slash girl about town in the first half of the 20th century. Usually very fun and bright and full of energy. They show up all the time as secondary characters, but I'd love to read something where they're the main character. I really enjoy reading about people like Phoebe and KJ Charles's Will Darling adventures. Oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Multiple references to Will Darling this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lady Tanagra and Patricia Brent, Spencer, which is an amazing book, and Tommy and Tuppence in The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie. The Daisy Dalrymple series hasn't worked for me, and I've read The Usual Suspects written at the time, Nancy Mitford, Evelyn Waugh, etc. I'd really love to find a satisfying romance, but I'm open to most genres. As long as the tone isn't miserable, (laughs) I need joy right now. 
LOL. Okay, so Alex, allow me to introduce you to The Dud Avocado by Elaine Dundee. This is, it was first published in 1958, and it is like 1950s. It is about a bright young thing named Sally J. Gorse, who goes to Paris in the 50s and is like kind of amazingly... I don't want to say clueless, but it has a little bit of that vibe. Like, she's, like, just there to have fun and drink wine and hang out in cafes in Paris with strangers and go on adventures with those strangers. And maybe sometimes that turns out not to be a great idea. And then she doesn't have a passport anymore and is, like, nowhere and doesn't know anybody. But she's going to figure it out because, of course she is, because she is a bright young thing who is out here to have her European adventure come hell or high water. And she does not care. And it is really entertaining. There are some like, I want to say like mildly dark moments, but you got, you're like, she's going to be fine. Mm. And in, in fact, she is fine. Mm. She's totally fine. And it is just, it is extremely funny. It is, a, it is a little snarky, as you might expect from the time period. And it is just, I think it's exactly what you're looking for. So again, that is The Dud Avocado by Elaine Dundee. I picked Cocaine Blues by Carrie Greenwood, which is the first book in the Franny Fisher series, which if you've seen the show on Netflix, that's exactly what it is, except in the book, Franny is a good 20 years younger than Franny in the show. And there is not that like romantic subplot between Jack, the detective, and Franny in the books, because again, she is 20 years old, <laughs> and Jack is still like in his 50s in the, in the books. So if you are on, if you are unfamiliar, Franny is a young woman in the at the end of the 1920s. Um, she's she's an honorable is what they say in the book. She's an honorable. So she's been like some sort of minor aristocrat. And she lives in London. Um, but she's like bored with it. She doesn't. The conversation is boring. She has a, there's a three line in the book where she gets really annoyed by all the weak chinned men, whatever that means. And so she decides she's going to move back to Australia, where she's from, and become a lady detective. And so she moves back. She uh, settles in uh, in Melbourne in a hotel, like a very fancy hotel, and goes out on like a quest to find mysteries to solve, which she immediately does. There's like cocaine smuggling, hence the title, police corruption. There's a bunch of like communist main care or communist side characters who have their own subplots and mysteries and crimes. Um, a few wives who get poisoned. There's like back alley abortion stuff a little bit. That makes it sound kind of dark, but it's not. It's a pretty upbeat kind of series. Um, but she is kind of the definition of a bright young, bright young thing. She's got money. She has wit. She is not interested in getting married or settling down. She's like here to dance and live her life and have adventures. And it's just quite a lot of fun. So the book, they're like modern. They were published in the early, no, the late 80s. I was going to say early 90s, but they started coming out in 89. So they're not written in the time, you know, that the, they're, what am I trying to say? She didn't write them in the 20s. That's what I'm trying to say. They're quite modern. <laughs> they're quite modern. Um, and so you get a lot of that uh, bright young thing plus modern kind of feminist edge. So that is Cocaine Blues by Carrie Greenwood. And now it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. At she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is 
part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. All right. Question five is from Makata, who says the SFF genre has always been an intimidating genre to get into. I don't really know where to start. I love shows like Charmed, the first one, Wyona Earp, Lost in Space, Orphan Black, Black Mirror, and Stranger Things. Some running themes in most of these shows include strong character development, found families, or complicated family dynamics. I think I need the overall story and characters to feel grounded first and foremost with the fantastical shenanigans happening around them. Okay, Jen, what you All right. So I'm also a huge Orphan Black fan, just for the record. And my pick, I think, does have strong Orphan Black vibes, but not in like an obvious way. It's Beneath the Rising by Premi Mohammed. And we'll give a content warning for harm to children. This book, I mean, the things you talk about are pretty dark. Mm-hmm. Like these are all, they're dark. So this this book is dark, FYI. It is also pretty amazing. It's like a modern sci-fi sort of hash on Lovecraft in, in a lot of ways. It's very cool. Uh, and the two main characters, Nick and Johnny, have been best friends since they were involved in this like very traumatic incident as children. And they're now in, uh, I want to say, like, it's a little indeterminate. I want to say, like, late teens-ish. But Nick and Johnny have very different lives. So Nick is, you know, one of uh, several siblings. He is uh, Latino, and his family is really struggling. Um, Well, he's mixed race. But anyway, so he's struggling, and he, like, works at, you know, in fast food and is just trying to, like, help make rent and is not, like, a special shiny person. Whereas Johnny, which is the nickname for Joanna Chambers, is a child prodigy. She has been like solving crazy physics and mathematical problems since she was like six and, you know, jaunting around the world, winning all of the prizes and like creating all of this bananas technology and solving world hunger and whatever. Like she is, you know, 
She's rich. She's famous. She's a genius. Like, their lives are extremely different. So they don't see each other very often. But uh, in this uh, occasion, Johnny comes into town and Nick comes to visit her and she's like, I did it. I figured out how to, like, solve the energy crisis forever. And she's created this, like, tiny little reactor that seems like it's going to change the world. But actually what it does is open a portal to, like, ancient evil beings. Whoops. Whoopsie. Mm. So now there is this whole complicated, like, international adventure where they're on the run from these, like, horrible monsters uh, and trying to, you know, save the world from this thing that Johnny has created, but also is, like... She's still also trying to solve the problem of, like, energy use in the, in the world. So there's a lot of modern science themes in parallel to all of this supernatural stuff. So it is very grounded. And it's also extremely grounded in this complicated character relationship. You're really only getting Nick's side of things. But, like, Nick is constantly being forced to see beyond his own experience and, like, where he's falling short. And you get, like, this really intense view of their very complicated friendship dynamic. It's great. I love this book. The second one, I believe, is out now, and I am still waiting on my library hold, but I cannot wait to read it. Again, that's Beneath the Rising by Primi Mohammed. All right. I picked The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson, which has a trigger warning for domestic violence. This has big orphan black vibes also. Maybe, like meets Stranger Things in as much as there's like a multiverse kind of situation happening. (laughs) So in this, this is like a near future sci-fi novel where we have figured out, well, one one man has figured out how to travel between parallel universes. So there's like Earth Zero, the one that we are on, and then like Earth 14 or 307, you know, where like each Earth has got a slightly different trajectory as the people on it make different choices. He is also this like genius. He's kind of a uh, Elon Musky sort of figure. Uh, musky. He's a musky figure. Um, <laughs> he has figured out, his name is Adam, he has figured out how to send people into these other worlds and we and has started doing that in order to mostly collect data and or resources. So like mining these other worlds for oil, mining these other worlds for minerals that we need to make electronics, that kind of thing, obviously, because that's exactly what we would do if we could figure out how to go to other planets. Other yes. worlds. Um, and The problem is only certain people can travel between these different Earths because if you show up on an Earth where you are still alive in that Earth, you are going to die. Like only one of you can exist on on these in these multiple dimensions. So in order to be a traverser, somebody who goes, you know, between the worlds, you have to have died a lot. So all of the traversers tend to come from poor families or war torn countries or something like that, where their background means they are probably dead in almost every world that they're in, except Earth Zero. And that is true of our main character named Kara. She has died on almost every Earth. Um, She is the daughter of a drug-addicted sex worker. She is very poor um, and has grown up outside of the big city where most of the, like, quote-unquote citizens live. It's almost kind of Roman. Like, if you're a citizen of this domed city, you're probably fine. If you live outside of it, life is hard for you. But she, since she gets this job being a traverser, she now lives in the city and will do pretty much anything to hold on to it because that is how she's going to survive. So she gets sent to a world where she's told that her other person has been murdered. But when she shows up, the other, her, the other version of her is not dead. And that causes a whole lot of problems, including like physical ones, because it, it hurt, like injures her. But then she gets embroiled in this, like, why was I lied to? Like, why did somebody tell me that this person, this other me on this world was dead? And like, what am I here to find out? It turns out to be a really, really dark political corporate intrigue kind of thing with the musky character. 
<laughs> I'm just going to call him Musky now. That's his name. It's not Adam. It's Musky. Um, and so that turns into like this big mystery. It's very adventurous. The sci-fi multiverse following multiple characters who are all actually one person thing sounds complicated. But if you have done Orphan Black, this will be no problem for you. They all have different names. They all have different Earth designations. So like it's not hard to figure out who's talking about what. And the character, it's first person. So like you were, Kara is telling you the story and she explains everything quite clearly. Um, so that is The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson. I love that book so much. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites of last year. All right, let's see. Question six is from Susan, who says, I love mysteries where the setting or environment is a central character and authors use the genre to explore social issues. Past faves include All by Tana French, Michael Connolly, Peter Heller, Attica Locke, Peter May, Jane Harper. My summer reading goal is to read everything by S.A. Cosby, Laura McHugh, Flynn Berry, and Dervla McTiernan. All right, let me introduce you <laughs> to Winter Counts by David Heska Wanbley Wyden. This is 100% a, like, strongly set crime novel that is about social issues. Like, here you go. It's just it's exactly what you're looking for. Uh, it takes place on the Rosebud Indian Reservation in South Dakota. Our main character, Virgil Wounded Horse, is, like, a local enforcer. Like, he gets hired by people to go and, like, Basically, like, threaten people into compliance, let's say. Or, like, deliver justice, quote-unquote justice, street justice. And, you know, that's, like, sort of fringy and whatever. But he's he's fine. He's doing his thing. But then the reservation is sort of exposed to this heroin, like, increase and... His nephew gets wrapped up into it and he starts to like everything gets really personal, which it hasn't been to that point. So he's trying to figure out like where the drug's coming from. How do I make it stop? Like and so then there's drug cartels and there's stuff happening back on the reservation and the tribal council that's like making everything very complicated. And it's very much about, you know, what it means to be a native citizen in this day and age. Like what are the issues that the the tribes are facing um, inside of their own? own, you know, reservations as well as interacting with, you know, U.S. general law enforcement because there are different rules and legal systems set up for that, you know, drug use, like all of these things, like just a ton of stuff. And uh, yeah, I think this is definitely going to be on your list of things you want to dive into. So again, that's Winter Counts by David Heska Wanbley Wyden. Okay, so you mentioned wanting to read everything by Laura McHugh this summer, and I'm going to co-sign that. My recommendation is her newest book, not the not the one that she's probably more well-known for, which is her first one. It's What's Done in Darkness by Laura McHugh, obviously, giving trigger warnings here for violence against women and sexual assault. Laura McHugh writes like the Ozarks, and so this is, I'm pretty sure, based on the Duggars. Like, it's hard to not draw a line between what's happening with the oldest Duggar son right now and this book. So the main character is a 17-year-old girl named Sarah. Her family lives in Arkansas on this, like, quite remote farmstead. They didn't always, though. Like, her parents found fundamentalist religion when she was, um, an, like, a young teenager and pulled them out of public school and moved them to this farm and changed everything about their lives. So, she, so she's, like, had access to the internet. She knows what TV is. So she's experienced the outside world, just not in several years. Um, and so her, her family requires her to, you know, they got to go to church. They have to, she has to wear long dresses. She can't cut her hair She's intended, she, like, she had, they arrange her to get married. She's 17 and they're arranging for her marriage and all of this just bananas kind of duggery sort of thing. She has 
pretty much given up on escaping. She's trying to figure out if there's any way for her to get out, but she has no access to the outside world now. And so she is put, given the job of like working their farm stand, you know, people on like by the street, people come by and she sells them produce. And the day she is told that she is going to be married off to another man in the church, somebody abducts her from the farm stand. And she is returned after about a week with very little memory of what happened to her. She doesn't have, uh, she was like blindfolded the whole time. She's quite scraped up and injured, but doesn't remember much. And so the cops completely dismiss. They, you know, believe that she ran away, regretted it and came back. So her case is never really investigated. Um, and she has since left because when the when she was taken to the hospital, when she was found on the side of the road and taken to the hospital, of course, social workers came to talk to her, realized the kind of situation she was in, and then helped her get out of that community. So after her abduction, she leaves and has been gone for several years. And then it's like five years later, a, a new cop calls her and tells her that another girl has gone missing in the same area under the same circumstances. She had a very religious family. She's been gone for a few days. She was kidnapped out of like nowhere. And he wants to talk to her to see if there are similarities in their cases and see if maybe she can remember something if she goes back to her hometown. And as we all know from reading mysteries and thrillers, <laughs> the victim goes back to her hometown is like always really fraught and never uncomplicated. And at first she resists because she's like, this is over. I was not treated well by the police. I do not want to talk to my family. No. But then he wears her down and she does go. And then, you know, together they solve this mystery of not just where did this first girl go, but where did what like what actually happened to Sarah? I don't want to get too far into like the parallels between the book and the Duggar situation because it becomes fairly obvious the farther you get in to her story. So that is What's Done in Darkness by Laura McHugh. Okay, Tracy is asking uh, asking us her, our last question, and it is, my husband and I are considering a move to Alaska. We are headed there for a week in September to try to decide if we really want to live there. Do you have any recommendations for books set in Alaska? This is like our site. Everybody's going to Alaska. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was going to say, everybody's going to are Alaska. Are there mosquitoes there? Uh, what are y'all doing? No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead, Jen. <laughs> Well, I have a sort of classic of Alaska memoir for you. It's called If You Lived Here, I'd Know Your Name, News from Small Town Alaska by Heather Lendy. This is, yeah. So Lendy is an NPR, like, you know, This American Life type person. It's a very good writer and lives in this very small town, Haines, Alaska. It's 90 miles north of Juneau. You can only get there by, like, water or air and only when the weather's good. You know, there's no mail delivery. Like, everything is very super small, rural, frozen town, Alaska. And Lendy is in charge of both the obituaries and the social column for her local newspaper. So she knows everything that's going on. And this is, you know, about, like, the different people, the different animals, the different weather, like all of these things, you know, talking about what it is. Yeah, like to live in this tiny Alaska town and like, what are the people like? Why do they choose to do this? What is what is daily life like? Uh, and it sounds exactly like what you're looking for. So again, that's If You Lived Here, I'd Know Your Name by Heather Lundy. Um, okay, I picked The Snow Child by Eowyn Ivy, which was just beloved when it came out in 2012. And for a few years after that, still beloved. I still quite like it. So uh, it takes place in Alaska in the 20s, which is not an easy place to exist. And it's about a couple named Jack and Mabel who have a homestead. They're kind of new to living in Alaska and they don't have any children. They're starting to kind of drift apart. 
both because they don't have children, they both really want them. She's really lonely. He has all of this work to do on the farm with no help because no children. And so they they don't really know what to do with themselves. Maybe they'll leave. They're trying to figure that out. And so when the book opens, they've had the first snowfall and they build a child out of that snow, like a little snow. I mean, a snow child, right? That's the title. They build a snow child. The next morning when they wake up, the snow child is gone and there is a young girl who is like, haunting their farm haunting not in the way that like she's dead but like in the forest outside the farm won't come in um and all of that she has a little red fox friend it's all very strange she somehow has like survived this whole time and jack and mabel are of course like you need to come in this out you're gonna die you know like you're gonna catch your death there's like this orphan kid just out here they try to figure out who she belongs to they can't figure it out um and so they take her in in as much as they can because she is quite wild and like obviously wants to stay outside And they're asking themselves the obvious question, I suppose, when you've been like alone in the wilderness with nobody to talk to for months and months, which is, did we make this kid out of snow? And there's this whole magical realist like overtone to the book. I don't even know if it's an overtone. I mean, it's pretty, (laughs) it's pretty overt (laughs) in this snow baby. And it's not a question that has a very clear answer, but... I think that this is a great book for somebody considering living in Alaska, not because it's like a a literal representation of what it's going to be like. Obviously, it's like it's the 20s. Unless you're farm setting in the middle of nowhere, nothing about this is going to be your day to day life, right? (laughs) But that the weather and the kind of isolation you can feel, even if you live in a community, the isolation that you can feel living in a place with extreme weather in and of itself is like a whole thing to get used to. And I think that that is really captured well here. In a, in a very quiet and, like, just lovely book. So that is The Snow Child by Eowyn Ivy. And that is our show. That's our show. do 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 John Ralphio voice. Thank you so much to our <laughs> audio editor, Jen Zink, and thank all of you for listening. You can find more book recommendations for pretty much everything at bookriot.com. And all of our other podcasts live at bookriot.com slash listen. Please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We say Apple Podcasts because we just realized yesterday that none of the other podcatchers have places to leave reviews on them. But if yours happens to, leave a review there. That would be great. We would much appreciate it. Thank you so much to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And where is Jen? I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And I'm on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will be back next week. <laughs>